This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's the Now News Panel on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown, joined by Michelle McQuig and Joita Gupta. Let's address our next topic. Protests continue in China. They were largely prompted by strict COVID-19 policies implemented throughout the country. China's zero-COVID policy includes major lockdowns and stringent testing. It caused significant economic disruption. There have also been reports of significant supply shortages for things like food. Since protests started in the last couple of weeks, the government has simultaneously eased some of those policies, but also cracked down on protesters. Joita, this story has your attention. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, it's utterly fascinating. Um, You have to remember that uh, the zero COVID policy itself was very contentious. And then you get into the situation where just a few months ago, if you've been following the news and developments in China, you see Xi Jinping basically consolidating power. Um, He is now believed to be um, the most powerful head of state in China since Mao and uh, has abolished the term limit so that he can continue to be at the helm indefinitely. You've got all of that happening on the one hand and the party mechanisms putting all of that in place uh, uh, on the one hand. And then you get these protests. And it starts with uh, with a fire in an apartment building, which protesters contend uh, are a result of COVID restrictions. And it goes really big from there. And the ingenuity of the protesters is fascinating. To, to see, because uh, in China, the, there are many restrictions on freedom of speech and expression and a severe crackdown on dissent against the government. So how do people turn around and address that? They turn around and hold up white squares of paper. I wish it's one of those rare moments where I almost wish I could see because the visuals must have been striking. You can't really have political slogans on placards, so they don't. And they don't. no one can accuse them of saying anything against the government because no one's talking. You have these entirely silent, peaceful mass protests. And it really got me thinking about uh, what was going on in China. Are we just talking about COVID fatigue? Because we've heard a lot about COVID fatigue in Canada. Or is there more going on here? What does the international response... Uh, have to be, and you'll allow me to be a little narcissist and make narcissistic and make this about Canada and ourselves, although it clearly isn't. But it doesn't, you know, almost frame conversations about free speech differently in Canada, for example, when we think about what's been happening in China. But it has been really fascinating to see this take off. Yeah, lots to unpack there, Juita. Thank you for sort of putting those angles forward for us. I always find when you're talking about protest in totalitarian spaces or authoritarian spaces, I'm never too fascinated by the first 10 days or two weeks. I'm fascinated for the continuity. So in places like Iran, where we've seen protests Mm -hmm. really continue for months on end, because we can also point to examples in Cuba last year where there was significant unrest for a couple of weeks. And then it kind of went away back to status quo. I like your question about COVID fatigue because certainly COVID fatigue is part of this lockdown policies we know are unpopular, whether you live in a democracy or an authoritarian place. But the other element of this is that China's economy is collapsing. Like the real estate sector has collapsed. A lot of foreign investment has collapsed. They're, they're sort of... Uh, let's call it non-alignment on the war in Ukraine, has dried up some international investments. There is 
a serious economic flaw going on in China right now after essentially 40 years of straight growth. So I think this has a little more to do with co- than, than just COVID lockdowns. But Michelle, what's what do you make of the protests in China? I have to say, you guys have summed a lot of things up really beautifully, so I won't recap, but I also find it absolutely fascinating to watch, especially when you have a country with a history of having protests put down in particularly brutal fashion. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anything like this is going to evoke the specter of Tiananmen Square and what happened there. And anytime any kind of sustained protest comes up, I always watch with a certain amount of amazement in light of what's happened. And and I, you know, it's, it is really striking. Uh, Same with Iran. I've been watching these two in parallel and that there are different issues at play, but they're equally intriguing to watch develop and, and, uh, I, I watch with sort of fingers crossed and, and breath held in, in both cases because you just never know how things are going to play out here. Um, I absolutely think this goes far, far, far beyond COVID fatigue. Yes, the fire that killed 10 people in that apartment building was allegedly um, exacerbated by the fact that it took too long to provide help for for. Uh, first responders to get past the COVID protections that have been put in place to shelter that building. But I think there's far more going on here than that. Dave, your economic point is is really uh, astute, I think. That has got to be being felt within China itself. The residents, I'm sure, have lots to say about that. Um, China's position in the global order is very much uh, in play right now with, with because of their non-alignment, I'm going to stick with your wording, Dave. I think it's it's apt. Um, but their their failure to condemn the war in Ukraine and their reluctance to to take a firm stand against Russia, not that they have taken a necessarily firm stand with Russia, but their their efforts to sort of stay sidelined on this are not going very well with the international community. That is going to bring additional pressure to bear. Uh, we've seen efforts at, at censorship in, in China that have sometimes worked and sometimes not. There's a whole lot going on there. You do have, as Joita pointed out, a leader who has consolidated power to a, to a degree that has not been seen for decades. I'm sure there's a whole generation with whom that does not quite sit right. So I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely positive that COVID-19 is the catalyst rather than the core cause here. Mm-hmm. As always, I've found some of the international response to be predictable, especially from people like U.S. President Joe Biden and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau on this front. Uh, talking about the freedom of the Chinese people and being a bit dismissive of the Chinese regime. It's pretty much been out of the playbook we've seen the last couple of years from those two individuals. But, Joita, what do you make of the international response or what should the international response look like? Well, I mean, generally the response in places like Canada has been very supportive of the protesters. And that itself is very interesting to see just, you know, how supportive um, Western countries, for want of a better phrase, have been of the protests in China. And yet they've treated... uh, domestic protesters who have opposed COVID restrictions very differently. Mm-hmm. The discourse has been mm-hmm. very different. But I think when it comes to China, you know, they have famously and historically not really cared about international response. I don't know if it's really going to make too much of a difference. I do think that the the, the what has really shaped the protest, the, 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 because the government has eased several of these uh, these restrictions, and I think that has been a direct impact mm-hmm. of the protests mm-hmm. themselves, and has actually very little to do with the international con- uh, you know condemnation of of these restrictions. Um, the other thing is, you know, we could, for example, we often routinely talk about bringing in economic sanctions and things like that. But I, again, China is such a big economy; I don't really see that being brought to bear in any significant way either. I don't know what the right international response would be other than to obviously um, support uh, the ex- the freedom of, of speech and freedom of expression that these protesters are 
are tend to have embodied, uh, but it's it's very hard to say what, if any, impact any sort of international condemnation would have on the Chinese government itself. Yeah, when you're talking about the evolution of democracy, oftentimes you have to leave it to self-determination. Otherwise, it is just foreign interference towards coup d'etat. I mean, I know I'm being a little bit exaggerating there. I'm I may be being a little bit bombastic, but you have to be really careful about, about interfering with self-determination and democracy. And that's why a lot of what you get is just words. But Michelle, I know it's I know it's a much bigger and broader question than just protest in China, but what what do you think? international communities can do in these moments. I would suggest perhaps accepting exiles, trying to be mindful of refugees and exiles to welcome them inside your borders. But even then, you have to be a little bit mindful of that as well. I, exactly so. I mean, you you can do that. And, and I, I know there is, are many in, in this room and beyond who would support measures like that. And yet you then you get into domestic politics. And those can be very thorny, especially around migration, as we've seen many times before. Uh, Canada offering words and words only around China is not particularly surprising uh, for the reasons you mentioned, Dave. But also Canada's in a particularly tricky place when it comes to dealing with China. Uh, just last week, Canada released its Indo-Pacific strategy, which has been a document that's been awaited for a very long time throughout the whole Two Michaels drama that uh, preoccupied Chinese uh, foreign relations with Canada for a long time. Uh, that whole strategy is explicitly stated to to help mitigate the influence of China. So at a time when, when Canada is already taking a bit of a stronger economic position involving China, they're offering words of support against the uh, words of support to the protesters and, and then by extension kind of against the government. So uh, there are a number of, of more complicated issues at play here. Uh, but in terms of what a response ought to look like, I think you're right, Dave, to sound the note of caution about getting too, too deeply entrenched and, and involved in matters that uh, almost by definition you can only do so much about. Yeah, it's tough to have your public safety minister, Marco Mendicino, say we want to create a foreign registries list to uh, to limit foreign interference in our country and then go out there and say, let's go interfere in somebody else's country. <laughs> you sure. Know, it's, it, and then you open yourself to the kind of critiques that the, that the United States has faced for decades yeah, about yeah. involvement abroad. So. Let, let, let's stay with Joita's last thought there about the way in which protest abroad may reframe the way we think about protest domestically or conversations about freedom or free speech. Michelle, I'm going to stay with you on this one. When we look at places like Cuba, Iran, China, I'm just picking a couple of the really notable ones of mm-hmm. late. How does that reframe or even frame at all the way you think about the way we talk about free speech in Canada? Okay, here's where you get into a particular pet issue of mine, and that is I have – it seems to me that in the past decade or so, the term freedom has become co-opted by a very specific sector of the political spectrum. And that has always really bothered me because those conversations are so different no matter where they're taking place. Uh, If if they are taking place in a place like Iran or China, um, the whole concept of freedom, the notions that are being debated, let's say, in the streets of Ottawa look very different Mm -hmm. than uh, in places like what we're talking about here. Um, To have the term freedom be politicized in a democracy the way it has has always really troubled me. And I feel like it sent some conversations down some particularly unproductive paths. Um, So, yes, to me, it absolutely does offer a bit of a perspective check for those who are willing to to pay attention to what's going on elsewhere, where freedom really is at stake. Yeah, when we talk about freedom and democracy and free speech, it's fair to say there's a range there, right? Freedom is not some individual concept. Philosophers have been arguing about what freedom is for like 3,000 years. So definitely to think about the way in which 
she plays out in geopolitics, it allows us to frame and reframe and rethink and understand what some people are fighting for in that self-determination fight for democracy. Joita, you asked the question, but what do you think? Well, I think, uh, again, the context of it, the context in, in Iran or Cuba or China is very different, and I think it does open up a couple of it, it does present a couple of arguments for me. The first is I think we are very fortunate in Canada to have the liberties and the extended and, and, and relatively greater freedom in terms of expressing ourselves, a gathering in peaceful protest, uh, and not having to worry to the same extent about crackdown and state repression. It's not something we should ever take for granted. And freedom of speech and freedom of expression are so integral to democracy and civic participation. I think where it really has sort of got me thinking is we have had very fractious debates in Canada about free speech, especially around, uh, say, the trans community. Um, and, you know, when people have been asked to use certain pronouns and felt that that was an, an infringement on their freedom of speech. And there are so many other examples. I think these, uh, you know, when we talk about the protests in China or elsewhere, it does allow me to think anew about responsible use of free speech and whether there should be limits on free speech and what our sort of responsibilities are as a country, which compared to a place like China has relatively greater freedoms of speech and expression. So it's not a conversation I think we have the time to get into today in in much depth, but I think it does allow us to take a sober second look, not just to be uh, grateful uh, that we have the, 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 the freedoms that we do have, but to also think about how we responsibly deploy those freedoms mm. in the service of our democracy. Well, next week is going to be our last official news panel of the year, our last official on-air news panel of the year before the show goes on a hiatus upon opening a new control room and new studio. So I think maybe that's something we can unpack because I sense we'll do a year in review and talk a little bit about the protests in Ottawa and talk a little more about the Emergencies Act because I don't want to open up that can of worm right here at the end of this conversation, <laughs> but I do think that's why we just spent seven weeks doing an inquiry into the Emergencies Act, because we do have to be really mindful about when we do crack down on, I'm going to put it in quotations, freedom uh, in that in that conversation. So let's leave it there for today, but I think that's something that we can pick up upon next week and reopen that can of worms as we do a bit of a year in review. Not that I'm producing in real time on the spot or anything over here. <laughs> Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.